Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verse, uh, we're actually going to be looking at verses 1 through 20 this morning. Let's, uh, let's start for, before we go to the message and pray, let's, um, let's look at verse 6. We'll start with verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him. He bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Son of the Lord Most High God. In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us <clears throat> excuse me, inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to a nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer asking for his help as we uh, look into his word this morning. Mike Palvik, would you pray for us if you would? It's funny going back to a town you lived in as a child. I, uh, this last week I was in Houston for the first of two weeks for our work camps. Uh, our youth group is taking part in the second week. We, this last week we had about 200, I think the final number was 293 campers. That's not including the staff that was there. We went to 25 different homes, 50 crews of students. There were double crews. Joe knows how the situation goes. Double crews at every site, every single site. The, the damage is still bad. There are, there are a lot of people in Houston, Texas, even after the hurricane last year, who still do not live in their homes. Um, I met one couple by the name of, I'm going to try to see if I remember, Bill and Jane. Wyckoff. Bill and Jane have lived in Houston for well over 30 years. This last Friday, they were they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary with us at the camp in the final program that we had, which we did not even know. And I joked with Bill, I said, it's your 50th wedding anniversary. Why are you here? And uh, with all these teenagers, and he said, because it's teenagers like this who changed my life. Bill's testimony is that before they lived in Houston, they lived in Alabama. And after a, he said a storm which I can only assume that he meant was probably a tornado or something like that went through and damaged their home. A group of people came by, helped out. He didn't even really get their names, and when they got done with the work they did, they left a gospel tract. A gospel tract is how he became a believer. And since then, um, he was doing his best. He served in disaster relief in different ways. And when the storm came, it was very humbling for him because he, he, he the way he put it to me, he said, I had helped and had my hands out to help for so long. He said, I'd never thought I'd be in the position to ask for someone's help in my own life. The neighborhood where he lives in um, at, at the lowest spot was about eight foot deep in water inside the homes. That's not on street level. That's inside of homes. He was one of the lucky ones. He only got four or five feet. It's hard to say that you're a lucky one when you only had four or five feet of water. Only, as he put it. Only four or five feet of water in my home. Um, just, just a sweet, sweet guy. After I got to meet Bill for the first time, I actually had to take a, 
an adult who had an appointment or something was going on and he couldn't go out with his crew right away, something work-related uh, that he had to do over the phone. Anyways, I got to take another gentleman back out to, to go be Bill later in the week. And I also got to haul paint, which is a lot of fun. Having, you know, 30 gallons of paint in the back of your car and it's a rental and you're hoping nothing tips over and that every lid has been put on tight because you're sitting there running Murphy's Law of what's going on in your car. Everything got there fine. Um, but after the first time, I think it was from leaving Bill's house, I got turned around because Bill was, Bill's house is sort of south, uh, west Houston and we were staying in Tomball, which is on the north, northeast side. So it was about a good 45 minutes, an hour drive, which by the way, everything in Houston, as Ron has told me, is 45 minutes, 10 hour away. You could be going one mile down the road, it's 45 minutes or an hour to get there. You could be going across town, 45 minutes or an hour to get there. Just, just how Houston is. It's some sort of strange time nexus, I have found out. But on the way home, I got turned around, uh, I took the wrong exit, and I was going to just flip a U-turn because my phone was being so kind to me and telling me what to do. Uh, as I got off the road, I, I looked up at the street sign, and it said Veterans Memorial Highway. And Veterans Memorial Highway runs right into FM 1960. I remember those two things from being eight years old. Our house was in a neighborhood off of FM 1960. Our church we went to sat along Veterans Memorial Highway. And I thought, huh, I wonder how close I am. So I pull off into a very sketchy-looking gas station, and I pull it up on my phone, and I'm a mile away from the church where I first professed faith in Jesus Christ and I was baptized in. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to go see it. Because I kind of wanted to I wanted to see, you know, that, that I've told the story before. I was sitting in Sunday school, and it was the end of Sunday school class, and Karen Ferguson, who I found out just a few years ago had only been a believer about a year, maybe two, just thought she was supposed to ask her kids every week if anyone would want to be a believer, if they would like to respond and then raise their hand. I didn't realize that her son and I on the same day were the first two to raise our hands. And she said she was scared because she was not sure what to say. Um, she just thought she was supposed to do it, so she did it. And she was elated, but she took us both outside of the classroom, which she had done on other occasions for different reasons. Um <laughs> And Heath and I are still close. Heath is a pastor in Houston. I'm excited because he was gone this last week and he's going to be there while I'm there. That's probably going to be trouble. Um, but she took us both out in the hallway and we, we knelt in this spot that was really under an old coat rack that was mounted to the wall outside the Hispanic congregation's auditorium. And they would have church while we had Sunday school. And then when we would go to church, they would have Sunday school. It's just, we just shared the building. There's two congregations in one. And um, I'll never forget just, kneeling right there, and then about the time we were saying amen as she led me through a sinner's prayer, uh, church let out. And then I didn't go to children's church that morning right away because I went into the auditorium to find my parents. So I got to go in the building because there was a the maintenance guy was there, but he, for some reason, didn't have keys to the youth group side, which was the Hispanic, which was at one point the Hispanic congregation side. It's not the same church. It's a totally different congregation now. The church that we had had moved on and relocated. But I went in there and I, and I saw the spot roughly where my parents always sat, which is really kind of neat because I remember just that viewpoint from those pews, three or four rows back looking up. The building was a lot smaller than I remember, but I was also eight years old. So that's just the difference there. And it's funny when you're, when you're in a place, you realize that so many things change. I got to look through the windows of that spot and I thought I would like, I thought this would be kind of like an emotional moment and I looked in and everything had been remodeled. 
And I, I then realized that even though our life changes at certain places, that's not the, that spot is not what is special. It's what happens. It's what happens in that spot. And I, you know, there's no plaque that says James Mitchell became a believer right here. I mean, there's, there's nothing like that there. It's been, it was painted. There's not even the coat rack anymore. They've moved the doors out from where they were. There's like a door in the way of the spot. Believe it or not, where I first knelt and prayed to be a believer. There's a door opening right into that spot. And it's funny how you kind of think of things and they, they seem special up here. And I just realized that we move on from where we're at. And sometimes where we think we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do isn't exactly where Jesus leads us. But where Jesus leads us is right where we're supposed to be and right where we can do the most good. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, about the guy in this story. Jesus and the disciples. Chapter 4, they, he's calmed the storm. And they're going across the Sea of Galilee. And they end up in a place... Well, I'll just put it like this. It's got herds of pigs. So is it is it inhabited by the Israelites? There might be a few, but they end up in Gentile country after this storm. They're on the opposite side of the lake. They're on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They get out of the boat, and there's a guy who sees them coming, and he's coming toward them. And the Bible tells us that... Uh, when they climb out of the, you see right there in verse two, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain. Verses four and five paint a little bit deeper picture of the man. He is not clothed very much. He's got the chains draping off of him. And this guy was prone to howling. Howling. I don't know many people who just go around howling. And he had cuts all over his body. The man is demon-possessed. Now, there are some, some people who would try to explain it away and say, well, he had mental illness. Or that he, he had something that had not been diagnosed. But that doesn't fly with, with the look, what we look at in Scripture. The guy definitely had a problem, but the problem was what was possessed inside of his body, which he was possessed by a number of demons. I mean, this guy has issues. It was not, it was not out of hand in that day for people who were, who were of less means to possibly be living in a burial cave, like toward the front. They may have taken shelter there away from the storm. But this guy is not not who he should be. And, and really what he's dealing with is taking control of his life to the point that people are looking to restrain him. Now there's a little bit of a question of the type of restraint that he's under. Is he under a restraint to keep himself from hurting other people and maybe hurting himself? Or are they restraining him and leaving him in a burial cave, hoping not to see him again? We don't know. But we know there's a guy who has a situation. And when Jesus sees him, the guy comes toward Jesus, which is a very odd thing, thinking, Murray, that he is possessed by a bunch of demons. I mean, all these demons inside this guy are moving him toward the one person he does not, or one person who they don't want to be around. But for whatever reason, they're coming. It's sort of like when Jesus has a purpose, when he goes up through Samaria, when no other good Israelite would go through Samaria, he has a purpose. They go across the storm, and they get on this side of the lake to do something which they would not normally do. They're, they are in unclean territory. Again, 
we're going to find there's a herd of pigs. The Israelites did not eat pigs because they were unclean. Why would they herd them at all? So this gives us an idea where they're at. They're not in the normal, typical place. You can imagine that the, the disciples are probably uncomfortable just being there. This is not home. And, and in a lot of ways, it's enemy territory for them. These are the people who they stay away from for a lot of reasons, and the people who stay away from them, and they're not friendly neighbors at all. So here we are, and here's this man in this situation. And it's and it's a bad, bad situation. So here's what Jesus does. Go ahead, David. He comes up with a swine solution to a pig problem. Now that's as bad as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get as far as my jokes. Okay, Actually, Ron, that's probably the best joke. Uh, this last week, as we checked students in, we had Laffy Taffy there. And if those of you who don't know what Laffy Taffy is, it's candy with dad jokes on it. Sort of like, what does a 500-pound parakeet say? Tweet. You know, just really deep voice. That, that's as bad as they are. So I've been dealing with this all week long. So here's what Jesus does. He comes up with a swine solution. Here's this man. And he's possessed by these demons. And when some distance away, the man sees him, verse 6, he comes out to Jesus, and the Bible says he goes to his knees. There's a lot of speculation where people speculate that it's the man going to his knees, that it's the demons recognizing who Jesus is going to his knees. For For our purposes, it doesn't matter. We just know that there's somebody with a problem right there. Somebody who's in need of a change. Jesus interacting with, with the whole situation, talking not just to the man, but really to the demons that are inside of him. Jesus asks them your name. Now this is a scary thing. And this is foreign to us because we, we don't interact with that. How many demon possessed people have you, you all interacted with in the last week? Anybody? No, this is foreign to us. I've been around some really weird teenagers this week. None of them, which I would say are demon-possessed. Some of the youth workers, eh, maybe. But we can get into that situation later. They probably need some counseling. I should really call their pastors. Um, but this, this, this situation that they are in, that they are sitting there, imagine if you're one of the disciples. Imagine if you're standing behind Jesus. And Jesus is having a conversation with somebody. And you're, you're Andrew. Okay, imagine you're Andrew and you're standing back away. And Jesus says, what is your name? And the guy answers, Legion, because there's a lot of us inside of this man. I'd be scared. I'd be frightened. But Jesus is, he's cool. He's calm. He's collected. It's sort of like in the situation of the feeding of the 5,000 when he leans into Philip and he says, how are we going to feed all of these people? It's because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And he's in this situation knowing what he is going to do. And a lot of times in the turmoil of what is next in life, what am I supposed to do? We're, we're the ones who struggle. And Jesus is sitting there with a smile on his face, ready to lead us by the hand and say, okay, here's what's next. Here we go. Here's where we're going. This, one of the things that we do that I love about work camps, and I guess I come home with it on my brain. But one of the best things I love, and, and Joe has been there and he's seen this probably with our group and other groups is knowing, hey, what crew am I going to be on? What I'm going to, what am I going to be doing? And where am I going? And we, and we constantly tell them, wait, 
wait. We build up that anticipation on purpose for a reason so that when it comes, that they're ready to pay attention. I think that's where Jesus is a lot of times, even with us. It's where he was with the disciples. Because you're going to see in a moment, Jesus is going to let this man do something that he waits to let the disciples to do. Which is really kind of just amazing to think about. So they're in this situation. The man says, or the demons say out of the man's voice, legion, because there's a lot of us in there. And they beg him not to send them to a distant place for whatever reason. They're essentially saying, leave us alone with this guy. Don't do anything to us. Just like the disciples might have been scared, those demons inside this man are scared too. The only person who's probably calm in the whole situation is the Son of God, who's standing right there, who's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Pigs. That's the solution. Imagine, I'm asking you to imagine a lot, but I've been this last week, I've been thinking about the different spots of this story, which are just odd to us because our culture isn't like this. You're a pig farmer. You've got your herd. They don't smell great, but it's your livelihood and you're moving from place to place and you have these pigs. That's what you have. Jesus sends them, partially due to their request, sends the demons into the pigs. And I think the demons think, well, we'll just live in the pigs. What happens is that the pigs go crazy. Imagine if you're sitting there and you have your herd, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit of a commotion near you. You see a conversation. It's the local madman and a guy who just got out of a boat. And all of a sudden, your herd of pigs goes running off toward a hillside. I mean, this must have been an awesome sight. 2,000 pigs going off the side of a hill. Maybe not a cliff, but just tumbling down. It was a mess. And the Bible has some weird, strange, messy moments. But this is a very strange, Doug, Doug kind of strange, but Doug, this strange, messy moment in the Bible. Not Doug strange, but that's Doug. Oh, I'm getting my strangest confused. That's Meg, Doug, strange. But 2,000 pigs over the side of a hillside. And they go careening down. And what happens is, is that the farmers freak out. Of course they would. All their pigs are now rolling down the side of the hill and they don't got enough time to you know, butcher them all to make bacon. I mean, this is a lot of really good bacon going to waste. But these farmers are upset probably because of the whole situation. They're scared. And what they do is they take off running back to town. What we find in this situation and what they come back to find is something completely, completely different. It's this, David, if you would. It's a different outlook. The Bible says the herdsmen fled to a nearby town and the surrounding and the surrounding countryside. They spread the news as they ran. People rushed back to the scene to see what happened. It says people rushed out to see what happened. The crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. You know, we know people who have problems. I mean, in, in, in Marlowe, there, there, there are a couple guys who, who wander around town and everybody knows who they are. I'm sure in this town, they all knew this guy. They knew who he was. So when they all come out and they see Jesus, they see the guy, but he looks completely 
different. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were afraid. Because it's not the pigs that they're now afraid of. They're a little scared of Jesus at this point. Which is what happens, because sometimes when when Jesus does what he does, and we can't explain it, and we can't understand it, when he changes the life that we've all given up on, what's the first thing we do? We get skeptical, we doubt, we wonder if it's even real. It's like if a famous athlete or a movie star or a musician becomes a believer all of a sudden, we suddenly put our hands up and say, whoa, is that even possible? That's what they're doing. They're saying, whoa, is this even possible? Can this guy really be different? And is this guy the one who's made the change? How is this possible? This person who was crazy, who was howling, who was going around cutting himself, slicing up his arms and his body, this guy who everybody did their best to avoid, who we would chain up for whatever reason, he's not the same. He's different. I think on the screen we have who he was, David, if you would. Uh, we had this, the man before Jesus, he was demon-possessed. He was naked. The Bible says he was not clothed. He lived in the tombs. He was wrapped up in chains, and he was prone to howling and cutting himself. In an instant, this is who he becomes. Look at the difference. He is set free from all the demons. Demon-possessed, nothing at all, Clay. Second thing is, is he's fully clothed, and that's something to kind of remember because it's an outward expression of an inward change. He suddenly realizes himself. The second thing, he's going to a new living situation. He's no longer going to live in the tombs. He, he has a new outlook on life. The second thing is, is that he's unchained. And what we're about to find out is that he's prone to following Jesus. This person who was prone to just being crazy is now prone to following Jesus. It's a before and after. And it's a beautiful before and after. It's like those really great, we take these pictures of build, of houses and stuff we work on that are like before and after. I saw a fence in the before state because when the floodwaters came through, the house that this was in had about six foot of water, so which means this, the fence was hit by six foot of water or just sat there under six foot of water and, the, and it was trashed. It was bad. And... um the posts they were able to salvage for the most part. They came in, put new runners, put it, it made the house look brand new. They put a little bit of paint on the house, but it made the entire house look brand new. It's just a sweet elderly couple who just almost lost everything. They were so excited and the neighborhood was so excited. The guy next door cooked burgers for them. He was so excited to see that change. And he's the vice president of the homeowners association came out for in this one that Joe was a triple crew. So there was 18 workers out there. This guy next door on his own dime has a barbecue. Has enough to have a barbecue that he says, how many staff members do you guys have? And if we couldn't make it, he was sending food back. I got to eat two burgers that day. They were really good. I don't know why that never happens to me when I actually am a camper and I go to a site. But man, this this was awesome. See, there's two reactions to life change. There's praise God and then there's Oh goodness, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I doubt. We should always hope for the best. We should always truly hope for the best in somebody and give people the benefit of the doubt. 
especially we this guy in this situation with the people that he's around, they're immediately afraid. And, and the Bible tells us that, to me, it's a strange reaction. When they see what has happened, verse 16, it said, Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Which is bonkers to me. I, I don't understand why when you see somebody who does something that awesome, you say, please leave. But people make that choice. They truly make that choice. We find it even in the scripture when Jesus begins to teach things that are hard, and we're actually going to talk about it in one of our programs this next week. When Jesus begins to teach something that is really hard for his disciples to understand, a large number of them make the choice to go away. And the majority isn't always right. I do not know why this is popping, but they're, they're not always right. And Jesus turns and looks and he sees Peter standing right there. He says, are you also going to leave? And Peter speaks up for the 12 that are standing with him. And he says, where would we go? You're the one with the words of life. You're the holy one of God. And that's an amazing profession. We find that the man doesn't go away with the crowd. The man is left there standing, David, if you would. He's left there standing with Jesus. And he makes a very, very simple request of Jesus in verse 18. I want to read it to you. He says, as Jesus is getting in the boat, so if you can imagine this whole thing's happened, it's been an odd day, it's been a weird day, the disciples are probably saying, do you believe what you... Now, we've seen some things, but he just calms the storm yesterday, and now he does this today. What's next? And they're getting in the boat, and the guy is just standing there. And you know when somebody wants to go with you, you can tell they're just right there. Those of you who are parents, you remember, especially when your kids are small, you, know, you may be at home on a Saturday and one of you is going to run to the grocery store and you have that one kid who's just standing there by the door. Yeah, they, they may, maybe they haven't asked to get permission to go, but they're just standing there like, can I go too? Can I go too? Can I go? This man is standing there and he begs Jesus, let me be number 13. Let, let me go with you guys. Imagine if this guy, this had been great if we'd had 13 disciples. That'd have been cool, you know, and that this was the one. He was lucky number 13. What if this guy's a Gentile? And it would cause maybe a few problems. Jesus is going to his own, but obviously he's come here for a reason. And what he's about to send this guy to do is going to be amazing. Because in a moment, Jesus is going to make the first missionary to the Gentiles. And I know some of you would say, no, that's Paul. No, it's not. It's the the Genesarian demoniac. That's who it was. He's the first person to go to the Gentiles to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus hasn't even released Peter, James, and John to go spread the gospel yet. But he releases this guy too. Jesus is still in that point in time in his ministry where he's telling people, don't make a big deal about this yet. Don't. Because his time, the time for him isn't right for his name to be known. He's going around healing. He's going around teaching. But he's, he's, he occasionally he says, hey, just go offer up to God the glory to this and, and be on your way. But to this guy, this guy who wants to go, Jesus tells him no which could feel sad until you see what he allows him to do. Jesus says to him, verse 18, but Jesus said, now go home to your family 
and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. I remember that Sunday morning when I first became a believer. I remember going in to find my dad. He was the first person I wanted to find. And I remember Karen being like a ways off because I ran through the church. How many times I got in trouble for running through that church? A lot. I can't even tell you how many times. It was probably on a weekly basis that I got in trouble for running through that church. But I go running in there to find Dad, who's already putting his Bible down to uh, to just you know be ready for the morning worship service. Even at the, at that church, we didn't have any sort of going out song for the kids. We were rarely in Sunday morning church. Actually, we went straight from children children's Sunday school class to children's church. We just went from one thing to the other. And so, come running in, my dad's wondering what's wrong, and I tell him what happened. Well, I missed the first part of children's church because. Uh, our pastor gets up and just announces it to the whole church. You know what happened in Sunday school that morning, which was an awesome feeling. I know, I know that, that feeling of, of being excited and wanting to tell somebody something. This guy's excited and he's wanting to be a part of what Jesus is doing. He's wanting to go. He started off that morning possessed by over 2,000 demons and now he's wanting to go on the road with Jesus. He's ready to go. He's fired up. He's ready to go. And Jesus says, no. Tells him no. And we hate hearing the word no. We we hate hearing the word no so much that sometimes we won't say the word no because we don't want to be that person who says the word no. But sometimes the word no is actually a yes because it's a no to a smaller scope of ministry that the man has because Jesus isn't going to send him to along with the disciples to the few cities that they're going to interact in. This man has 10 cities. He gets to go evangelize by himself. We don't know his story. I think in heaven we'll get up there. And we're going to be like, wow, that's pretty cool. How Jesus's name got spread by one guy, by one guy who Jesus said no to one guy who Jesus said, no, said, here's what you're going to do. Jesus says to him, Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. And it says, so the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for them and every, done for him and everyone was amazed at what he had told him. Nobody else would have been going. Nobody else would have been going. So here's a few things I just kind of want to point out along the way. Go ahead, David, if you would. Number one, before Jesus, we're in the same situation, like this guy. Instead of being possessed by demons, we're, we're ruled by something else in our lives, and it's sin. After Jesus, we're set free. We can't hide it either. Everyone knows. Everyone knows, just like if you have somebody in your life who you know really needs Christ in their lives, you, you know what it is that rules their life. And then all of a sudden, life isn't just something that that that's tearing us apart. Life becomes a testimony, like for the man. He now has something to share what Jesus has done. Eternity for us before Jesus is not a home. Hell is not described as a home. But after Jesus, eternity is a home. It's a place, something to look forward to. I could not wait in the car yesterday to get home. Especially after it took me an hour to go like 15 miles. Again, in Houston. From Tom to Conroe, an hour to go like 15 miles. It, it was just crazy. I could not wait to get home. I probably called Shauna five times yesterday on the way home because I was just, you're probably like, why is he calling me again? Um, but I was like, 
I, I would always have like something, you know, say, hey, what about this? What about this? Even to the fact that I was like, hey, just meet me in a lot. And I'll drop off this car and we can just drive home. I said, I'm just ready to be home. The last, uh, the last two, um, we're slaves. We're slaves to our desires. The Bible says we move into sin because we're moved away by our own desires. After Jesus, we're servants to him. By choice, we're no longer slaves, but by, by choice, we become servants. We're prone to every evil thing. And after Jesus moves in our heart, we're prone to love. I can't explain why people love in the way that they love, but even in this last week, I just, I just saw people giving. I just saw people giving and people giving and people giving. I saw groups that like went out and bought gift cards for the residents for their homes. Youth groups brought them ahead of time, but then other, other kids just went and bought more gift cards for, for their residents. Just saying, Hey, I'll go, let's chip in and I'll get them a Home Depot gift card so they can get whatever else they need. People prone to love. Why somebody on earth would say, you know what? And, and I'm not really that great at math, so I'm going to do a roundabout number. 1,500 gallons of water for one week just to help some kids and some teenagers and some adults do a good work. And then the next week, I don't even want to do the math. We've got like 350 coming for the next week, so it's a little bit more than that. But man, that's awesome. That's what I just did the math. 1750. It's roughly like 1750 worth of gallons of water. And that's just gallons of water, but they're saying, hey, listen, you're doing this. Can I do this? There's a, uh, a huge company that um, I'm not sure what they do. I think it's something having to do with the oil and gas industry. They've closed off a section of their warehouse for us to store all our supplies in for, for the two weeks of these camps. So we don't have to go back and forth to Lowe's all the time. It's already there, ready to go. The only thing we have to go to Lowe's for is paint. All the sheetrock, all the boards, all the screws, all the nails are like two miles down the road. And all we got to do is go in past security guard, load it on the back of a Pinsky, take it back and distribute it. They're not asking for a dime. They said, hey, can we can we help you help somebody out? And then again, why would people just give up their time? I'm going to brag on Joe a little bit, but Joe does these trips every year, gives up his time, time away from work, especially time away from his family, to go and just show love. Why? It's because when Jesus moves in our hearts, we're prone to act like him more and more each day. We're less prone to the selfish desires and actions that we have, and we're more more prone to be like him. A few more things I just want to say, and uh, I may just skip it. The big idea is that a no from God can actually be a yes. A no from God can actually be a yes. And in the case of the guy who wanted to follow follow Jesus, it was for this. And I'm not sure if I put that slide in there or not. Yeah. Uh, to take a Gentile to evangelize the Israelites would not have yielded good, if any, results. They would not have listened to him. So Jesus knows right where the guy should be planted. This guy wants to go back with Jesus. And Jesus is like, you will be more benefit going to the people who you came from, the people who knew you, the people who heard about you. People four towns over probably heard about this guy, and he's going to go say, hey, I was that guy, but I'm not that guy anymore, and it's all because of one person named Jesus. And how can our testimony not be the same? It should be. I used to be that guy. I can go back to people that I knew in high school and college and say, I used to be that guy before Jesus really grabbed a hold of me Later on in life, I said, are you going to take this seriously or not? 
it's just a beautiful thing that he gets to do. So I'm going to leave you with two questions. I, everything we do in the last week always revolves a question to think about. So I'm going to leave you a question. And, and some of you get to talk about it second hour. And I want you to think about this the rest of the week. Are you blooming where you're planted? Because sometimes we keep thinking of, I want to bloom over there. I'd like to bloom over there. Or I'd like to bloom over here. Or I'd really like to do this. And it's great to want to do something for Jesus in a different place. But sometimes you got to realize where you are right now and ask yourself, am I really doing everything I can do in this spot that I'm in? There's a guy in the Bible, you may have heard of him. His name is Paul. He wrote some of it. So Paul writes this book to the Romans, to the people living in Rome, the Roman Christians. And you know what he's telling them? He says, hey, listen, on my way to Spain, I'm going to come visit you because one day I'm going to Spain and I'm going to evangelize Spain. And when I go to Spain to evangelize Spain, I'm going to come visit you guys because Rome is on the way to Spain. He mentions it a number of times. Paul never makes it to Spain. Never does. Because God used him where he needed to use him. Now he had it in his heart, I'd like to go one day, which is great. But God used Paul. I mean, God used Paul to the point that we're still talking about Paul and we're reading for Paul. I mean, that's that's where we are, where we are. I don't even think he even dreamed that that Mike Palovic would be reading Galatians, the letter that he wrote. And Paul's just writing to the Romans, hey, I, on my way to Spain, I'll come see you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do something big, but sometimes we have to realize where we're at and say, okay, in the here and now, Lord, what is the best thing I can do right now, right here in this place that I'm in? And the second one goes along with this. I want to challenge you to do this. Ask God for big opportunities. There's this thing in a business. I, when I was doing my degree, I had to read a book called Good to Great. I mentioned this before. There's, and, uh, I think his name is Jim Collins. Have you read Good to Great? It's Jim Collins. BHAGs. BHAGs are big, hairy, audacious goals. They call them BHAGs. And it's those ideas that like, man, it would be awesome if we could do this. I'm just going to say this. Ask God for a BHAG in your life, no matter where you're at. Lord, what is, what is a big goal? What is something you can plant inside of me for me to do? And some of you may be fulfilling it right now, and that's amazing. And I want to applaud you. But for some of us, I want to challenge you to do that, to step up and say, Lord, challenge me to do something I've never thought I could do, something I've never done before, and lead me in every way you do it. We had people this last week who had never picked up a paintbrush, who by the end of the week are like holding a paint can in one hand, somebody steadying a ladder, and they're going up the ladder or setting a paint can, and they're just painting like they're a pro. We had people this week who had never really used a drill, especially some teenagers who had never really used a drill, who are in there with impact drivers putting up fences, just, just going down the line. I mean, just chucking through it. And I'm like, man, have you done this before? I said, no, not till this week. And those are simple, small things. We need to be asking, Lord, Lord, what can I do? Lord, take me out of my little comfort zone if I need to, but help me do something in your name right where you want it to take place, right where you want it to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the, for the, the, just the account we have of this man because it's so foreign to us. We don't, we don't see people who are demon possessed. We don't. At least we don't know of it. Lord, we don't, we don't quite understand how it happens. Lord, we know it's true because it's in your word. 
So help us to learn from it, Lord. Help us to be challenged by it. Help us to understand when a door closes where we want to go through that another door may be opening to a bigger opportunity right where we never expected it to be. Lord, I pray for that for our congregation. I pray for that for the individual believers in this room. I pray for that for myself. Let me know. Move on our hearts, Lord, all by your Holy Spirit to bloom where we are planted, to go to the places we need to go to that are right outside of our door that we may not have ever expected. And help us to be like this man who was always willing to share what Jesus did for him. And it's in your name we pray. And amen.